Hi there, and welcome to Cultures of Soul podcast. I'm Dino Sounds. On this episode, we'll delve into our Bombay disco compilation series and speak with compiler Brother Cleave. We'll also hear an interview with legendary Hindi filmy music composer Bobby Lahare. He composed the soundtracks for over 500 films. Enjoy. My name is Brother Cleave. I am a DJ and a musician, longtime musician, and uh, I also make cocktails. Well, that's another story entirely. So my interest in and in, in music goes way back. Uh, I actually started uh, taking piano lessons in 1965. By uh, 1967, I was playing in a sort of psychedelic garage band uh, in Medford, Massachusetts, where I grew up and uh, continued playing in bands, uh, started playing in bands professionally, i.e. getting paid for it, uh, when I was um, 15, uh, and that was uh, in 1970. And uh, punk rock happened uh, for me around 1974-75 and started uh, playing in the early punk scene in Boston at clubs like The Rat and uh, uh, Cantones and The Space and other assorted uh, venues which are no longer with us. Uh, through the post-punk era, I had a sort of a punk-funk band in the late 70s, and uh, uh, by the mid-80s, I had joined a, a band called the Del Fuegos as their uh, touring keyboardist. They were on uh, originally on Slash and then on Warner Brothers and uh, toured the world with uh, oh, people like Tom Petty and ZZ Top and NXS and, uh, and uh, other assorted uh, big-name acts at the time. I guess because of the fact of, of when I was uh, growing up, uh, you know, I was like ooh, 12 years old or so when when sitars and tablas became uh, instruments that were making their way into uh, sort of psychedelic rock and roll. You know, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and Donovan, amongst many others, uh, started using these instruments in their songs, and uh, I started buying Ravi Shankar records. And, and pretending that I was meditating because that's what you did back then and uh, you know obviously there was an uh, Indian South Asian music uh, was had its day in the sun at that point with with Ravi Shankar and certain things that he was doing with people like Yehudi Menuhin and, and in jazz uh, uh, Dave Pike and other assorted artists were, were adding these instruments as well so I get interested in these instruments as a 
sort of an early version of world music uh, to my young, impressionable brain. And uh, after that, uh, I got interested, I guess because I, through uh, restaurants, the restaurants started, ethnic restaurants started opening up. Uh, and Indian restaurants especially were, were a new thing in the 1970s in the United States and I would go into Indian restaurants and uh, they would have more pop style music playing, not necessarily all the Ravi Shankar and, and other Hindustani uh, music that I'd grown used to, but, but the more pop music and uh, started hearing it on the on the radio at the same time and eventually I think the the introduction of the the VCR was what really did it because now South Asian restaurants would have TVs in them and they would be showing these these VHS compilation tapes of songs from from uh, Hindi films uh, for the most part Bollywood films and uh, I was like wow this is this is pretty cool and started finding some of these originally just cassettes <laughs> you would get in, in Asian groceries, South Asian groceries, and kind of go, this is some of the weirdest, most psychedelic stuff I've ever heard. It has everything, including the kitchen sink, in it. And I, I became fascinated by it. But I think the real turning point was um, around 1993 or so, I was uh, playing with a band called Combustible Edison which was a uh, lounge and cocktail music group that had been signed to Sub Pop Records out of Seattle. And uh, a fellow who started the band, who went by the name of The Millionaire, uh, was a, uh, a friend of a lot of underground cartoonists, and he knew a fellow named Daniel Klaus, Dan Klaus, who had created a comic called Ghost World. Now, somewhere along the line, Dan Klaus had... had gotten a copy of a tape that came from uh, members of the, the group The Cramps, Lux Interior and Ivy Rorschach, who had a little South Asian grocery near their, their uh, home in Glendale, California, and they would go and rent Bollywood movies there. They were kind of obsessed with them as well. And they rented one one night called Gumnam, and Gumnam the opening scene is a song usually the, you have to wait a while for the song in these three hour epics uh, from South Asia but this one opened with a song and it was a song called John Pachin Ho and the uh, participants in this, the dancers were all wearing Zorro masks and the band uh, led by Ted Lyons, Ted Lyons and his cubs as it said on the bass drum head, uh, were this sort of wild rock and roll band and it was uh, it was and is just an incredible not only piece of music but the choreography and the entire thing is just amazing they had put it on a cable access show that they had in glendale and tapes of that would get around and one got to dan klaus who became obsessed with this piece of music and this film he sent it around to other people to see if anybody could discern just what the hell it was or where to find it or if they could find a copy of the actual film itself. Uh, so the millionaire was on that list and did get that uh, sent to him. He showed it to me and my mind was immediately erased and I thought to myself, if there's one of these, one song like this in, in Bollywood movies, the, the country that makes more movies than any place in the world, there's got to be a thousand. And it sent me down the rabbit hole. 
the deep, 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 never-ending rabbit hole of South Asian filming, which is what the term there is for the, the, the music of South Asian films, be it Bollywood, Hollywood, Tollywood, Lollywood. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's what really started the, the, the quest. And then when I was on tour with Combustible, I was in a record shop in Seattle on 2nd Avenue, right down the street from the Sub Pop offices. And I went in and uh, they had a, uh, like a, a rack, like a paperback type rack you would see in an old school drugstore or something like that, or a 5 and 10. Uh, but it was full of 7-inch Bollywood uh, records, EPs and, uh, and, and singles. E- uh, EP and SP, they call them single play, as they call it in India. And uh, they were $5 a piece, and I just blindly bought about a dozen of them, uh, figuring I would see $60 again and probably not see these records. And I got some really good ones that day, and it, again, just set me off. There was no stopping me then. जान हो जीना आसान हो जान पहचान हो जीना आसान हो दिल को चुराने वालों आंख न चुराओ नाम तो बताओ जान पहचान हो At that time in the late 90s uh, there were recordings records coming out that were compilations done mostly in Great Britain which you know, has a large South Asian population and a lot of these films uh, and, and the records themselves were distributed there. So there was one called Bollywood Funk uh, that came out around 1998 or, or so and I, I bought that and that was great and uh, uh, and there was another compilation that came out uh, in the U.S. on the uh, uh, Motel Records. It was called Bombay the Hard Way and that uh, introduced me to the uh, the Composers Kalyanji Ananji, who, who were two brothers, their last name was Shah. Uh, there were a couple of other things that came out. There were bootlegs, uh, the uh, uh, Bombay Beat series, a lot of different things that were coming out. EMI had owned most of the, the catalog. Uh, EMI was uh, the, the label in, in India that originally did all the film soundtracks uh, until the 1970s when. when uh, uh, Polygram and Polydor uh, came over from Germany and it got into the market there and then they started uh, issuing records as well and then there were a couple of smaller labels that, that, that came along uh, from, from there. They were doing more of the low budget uh, action and horror movies and things of that nature. Venus uh, was one of those. Uh, so there was a, just there's so many records over there 
that, and there's so many different styles as you go through the eras. You know, there's the rock and roll style, like the John Potch and Ho, is that was um, mostly in the in the early '60s, uh, and into the the funk stuff from uh, again Kalyanji and Anandji, psychedelic stuff from Artie Berman, uh, disco from uh, Bappi Lahari, and uh, an electro uh, from Bappi, and then from uh, others as, as it progressed into the into the 80s, and more synthesizers became available uh, in, in India, uh, that people started using those, especially on the, on the lower budget films. When I first became uh, uh, introduced to, to these these films, this style of, of, of film over there, I, I really... I knew that they had songs, but I didn't know that much about it. I, I didn't know if they were all musicals or what, and I started to discover, uh, basically, just like the Cramps did, you could get VHS tapes at, uh, at your local Asian market, and I started learning that these movies were long, uh, and that they had a lot of, uh, usually four to six musical numbers in, in each film, and they were all about, you know, two or three hours long, uh, and uh, in, in India, I, I learned when I started going there that they, they actually had an intermission. And uh, it, was, it was not just sitting there for the entire time like you would maybe if you were watching it at home on a VHS tape or eventually a DVD. But they would have an intermission and people would go out and buy like, uh, samosas and pakoras and little snacks and, and have that. And then you would go back and watch the second half of the film, which in some cases was completely different than the first half of the film. Basically, it's, it's built on the whole idea of the double feature that came out of the, the U.S. and the... Uh, in the the forties and, and fifties uh, and into the early sixties, so that that was one thing that they learned from from Hollywood, and also the idea of the the musical aspect. A lot of that, a lot of these sequences, especially in the ones from the fifties and, and early sixties, are very very surrealistic, and you can see it, it's sort of a, a South Asian take on Busby Berkeley, and. Uh, and also some like Salvador Dali. There's a lot of really outrageous sets. They would put more money into the the, the dance sequences than than into a lot of other stuff that was involved in the production of of the film. The whole idea of this sort of something for everyone, having music, having drama, having pathos, having uh, all sorts of mixed things going on in in a film comes actually from uh, from the Parsi theater, which uh, the Parsis uh, were. Uh, followers of Zarathustra, who were uh, essentially expelled from from Persia after uh, Islam took over, uh, so they escaped uh, mostly to the west coast of, of India, which is where Bombay, Mumbai, is, and also the, the an area called state called Gujarat. So they went there and uh, they brought this theater with them, which was an all-encompassing thing, and uh, the people of India really took to that all over the, the country because it had something for everyone, and uh, having song and dance and, and something was it's just a big cultural thing that's been that's the roots of, of all of the what we have as as the, the film scene. Even today, it's still the movies have gotten a little shorter at this point uh, over there, but uh, they're they're not Hollywood length by any stretch of the imagination, and they still have a lot of a lot of music. The hit parade over there is not. It is film music. It, there's not like a top 40 that is... Well, there is a top 40, but it's film music. It's not like pop groups like it is in the, in the West.
so as I said earlier, I've spent my life working as a musician, and I around 2001 I met a, a gentleman named uh, Jeet Singh, S I N G H. He met me uh, as I was a DJ in uh, an Indian-owned restaurant nightclub in Boston, and. Uh, I was playing Bollywood stuff along with sort of lounge, down-tempo, and and house music at the time. And uh, he uh, got to talking to me one night and asked me if I did remixes, and I said I did. So uh, I got together with him, and it turned out that when he found out I played keyboards, he offered me a a slot in the band. And one of the first things that he did was he got a, uh, a record deal for us, uh, a distribution deal with uh, Sony in India. Uh, I was there in uh, in Mumbai uh, f- for a week or so at one point, and uh, they, our uh, road manager who was from there, brought us around and brought us to a place called Chore Bazaar, uh, which is that's Chore is a thief in uh, in Hindi, so it was the thieves' market basically, and. Uh, you know, this had been around for centuries. It was not so much a place where pirates sold their goods nowadays, but uh, there were a lot of record wallas, record dealers down there, and I went and I found a bunch of records. And uh, the uh, owner said, oh, would you like to go to the big store? I said, the big store? Yes, I believe I need to go to the big store. And uh, But I had to. I had four other band members there, like, tapping their feet on the ground, going, we got to go. So I went back a couple of days later and uh, went to the big store, which was basically the size of a, a, a large closet, but it had probably about 20,000 records in it piled from floor to ceiling. And they would just put them in front of me, and they gave me a bottle of Tums Up uh, Beetle Nut Cola, and, uh, I, and to kind of sweep the records off and give me a pile of them and I would just go through these piles and say yes or no and I bought a lot of them I didn't really know what I was looking for, I knew who Bapi Lahari was, I knew who R.D. Berman was I knew who Kalyanji Ananji were uh, I knew who uh, uh, a lot of the other composers were and uh, and also I just looked, I, I kind of like bought by the covers which I've done that a lot with records over the my sort of 50 years of record collecting uh, you know, if it had a, a guy with a gun and a, and, a, and a woman in a wet sari or something like that, I would go, yeah, I'll take that. Or if it had some sort of dance photos of, of people in discos, I would take that. Or anything that looked like the type of, you know, I, I, grew, up, I grew up in the era of, of grindhouses and exploitation movies and drive-ins. And I, I have... A huge collection of all that stuff. I have, I have every black exploitation album that, that was ever released. Uh, you know, it's things like that. So um, I was kind of buying by that that same. And, oh, and also, I will just point this out. If it had on the back cover of the list of songs, if it just said music or it said theme music or something like that, then I knew that was the funky instrumental or the disco instrumental that that I wanted to get. So I basically my, my first trip there. I bought about 300 records. I had to buy more luggage to bring them back, but suitcases were inexpensive in India. Records were inexpensive. I was basically paying about 35 cents a record. Uh, And uh, every time I would go back, I would just buy more and buy more and buy more. At one point, uh, 
my friend Jeet, who was basically starting a label, was saying, you know, maybe you should do a, a compilation of, of uh, some of the, your favorite tracks, be they the funky tracks or, or whatever. And I said, well, I'd really like to do a disco compilation because there's a bunch of funk compilations out now, and I don't have a a lot more to offer on that but I nobody's done the disco stuff I'd really like to do that because I, I, was, I was a disco punk back in the 70s anyway so uh, and I had disco records and uh, you know I like disco I still do and I loved Indian disco because it was just so damn weird and I had a lot of it so uh, we started looking into doing that and getting you know putting it together what tracks and we got a lawyer uh, in India to try to you know get a deal with with either uh emi or or polygram polydor uh to uh, license from and do it legally and get the master tapes and uh and also have remix rights uh and that it kind of dragged on for a while uh it actually never happened uh over there uh but at one point um my road manager has he he was in a a Bollywood movie? He was like the 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 villain in it. So he said, "I can I can get in touch with with Papi Lahari. Do you want to do something like maybe uh, maybe we should do a an interview uh, or like a fi- a film interview?" And I said, "Gee, that sounds like a great idea." This was at a place called a hotel called the Sun and Sand in uh, Juhu Beach in, in Mumbai. And Juhu Beach was the, the sort of the Hollywood of India back in the 70s. And it was still uh, one of these places where you would see some of the older film stars hanging around, some of the action stars like Jitendra, uh, you know, from the 70s. You'd see them in there at the bar. I met Prem Chopra in there, who was the, the bad guy that uh, had... Uh, uh, oh, he, he, was, he was like one of the really bad, pervy bad guys in these movies uh, there's always there always has to be evil in these films otherwise good can't win right so uh, Bobby and I w- were there and then uh, he said well you should come over to my house I don't live too far from here so we, we went and got together and I uh, it was an amazing experience he has pictures of himself up on the wall with uh, Lata Mangeshkar and other uh, Usha Ayer and, and uh, Asha Bosley, you know, various uh, playback singers, Kishore Kumar, a lot of the different playback singers that, of course, he would direct. And quite, he direct, he sang quite a bit himself in, in his own his own compositions. So it was an it was an amazing experience just hanging out with him. We we. Hi, I'm Mr. Bappi Lahiri. I wanted to ask you more about how you, uh, your career started. You were very, very young, probably the youngest music director, I think, here. Uh, and uh, I know you were in uh, Calcutta and then came to Bombay. Were you do, did you do films in, uh, in Calcutta as Yes, well? yes. I started my career and I'm doing the gist because I have got a Calcutta first picture, in Bengali picture, mm-hmm. Dadu, at the age of 16. Then I came to Bombay. Then I have done the, I told you, Nanna Shikari, then Chalte right. Chalte. Zakmi. Then I I have done uh, 440 films. I was wondering what the uh, if, uh, what the exact number uh, was. Uh, I think other language all, almost 500 films, uh, but Hindi is my uh, Gandhi ko neema the 440. Right. So that's why you know like uh, I work hard from my beginning career. 
No, you know, it's funny, like, a lot of the old album covers and you have like Artie Berman or Kalyanji and Ananji on the back cover playing their harmoniums, which I always think of you as like in front of a whole rack of keyboards all <laughs> MIDI together and everything and creating all this. So is that a, is that right, a good right, assumption right, on my right, part? Right, right, right. Keyboard. Always I love, I, I have introduced all the type of keyboards first time in India, mm -hmm. like uh, Moog, Korg, uh, anything, the latest thing, like computerized song, like Thanedar, Tamma Tamma Loge, that song I used to computerize first time. Mm -hmm. that I always, always uh, used a new type of thing in India. In right. And it seems in the uh, 80s especially, you did a lot of films where uh, there were smaller budget films. And it seemed like you were able to do so much of it just yourself with the, yes. the synthesizers. And then you maybe have horns or uh -huh. something smaller, like that. Smaller films, but it's a, a synthesizer I have used. So yeah. So you're definitely in the, in the right place at the, the right time with <laughs> right. all that. But I think that's something that's important for people to know, too, that besides being a, a composer with, with pen and, and paper and leading orchestras and stuff, you're also a, a very adept programmer with uh, synthesizers and, you know, you had all the 808s and 909s, the early drum machines and uh, No, practically that time I have got the, all the life, life musicians. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you have heard the disco era, like disco dancer, Hathkari and oh, Rambahu, right, right. Hariyamari. The brass section, uh, rhythm section like drummer, three drummer they are playing, uh, roto, uh, tumbas, I have used so many drums because I am basically a rhythmist. Right. I, I know the, how the beat should play and uh, like one of my films, Jitendra Sri Devi, Himmatwala, it's very big hit, mm -hmm. Nainome Sapna. I have used Indian Dholok, Indian Dholok Tabla, uh, totally Indian music, mm -hmm. total. I have used, I have experienced all the type of music, you know, like that. You know, in the, in the West there's a, quite a cult following for the Ramsey brothers and their uh, the horror films. Horror films, uh, right, that, right. Uh, uh, you know, the, those films are very hard for uh, people to see in the West. They're hard to find here. But uh, how did you get involved with, with them and doing uh, all these horror films? First picture, films? I, I did a one picture, Ram, Ramsey's Our Call. Mm. That song has become super hit. That song was fantastic and Ramsey, they have started the horror movie here. So, but right. uh, from childhood I love horror movie. <laughs> when they approached me, I know, okay, no, I'll do horror movies, songs and background music. I always, you know, background music I love to do. Right. I love to do background scoring. Oh, there's a lot of great uh, nah. ways to do uh, horror yes, music. Yes, horror tones and, uh, you know. and horror effects and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 430 films and you're traveling all around the world. Did, when did you ever sleep? <laughs> Practically, I'm a work alcoholic, but I'm a non-alcoholic. I love tea and coffee. Mm -hmm. I never touch any alcoholic. Alcohol, never in my life. And... I love uh, all the time to, based on the music, to listen the song, like uh, symphony, like Arabic music, mm -hmm. like Middle East orchestra. Greece, Greece I like Greek, Greek music, mm -hmm. like Spanish, I like, I like Gypsy King. Uh, I like rock band also very much sometimes. I like, love the Bon Jovi and, you know, very, very much. I, 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 I have got a lot of collection. 
and I always in music, uh, hearing music. together the idea for these compilations I, I knew it was going to be very boppy heavy because he was the guy that really brought uh, disco to India uh, the first one that he did uh, film that he did that had disco in it was called uh, uh, Sharaksha and then the subtitle was Gunmaster G9 and basically kind of a they, they made a lot of sort of low budget James Bond type films in uh, in India uh, during that that time frame, FARS was the first one, F-A-R-Z, that came out around 1967 or so, uh, and then there were, there were a bunch of them over the, over the years that uh, continued the sort of Bond theme. I guess this one is, it kind of opens like Saturday Night Fever in a way, with uh, the, the star of the film was a, an actor named Mitan Chakraborty, and uh, Mitan was a, a professional dancer originally, and uh, got in... Uh, through just you know that through through being such a great dancer and, and acrobat as as well and so he's like you know walking down down the street in the in the uh, the jumpsuit kind of thing kind of like uh, a John Travolta strutting through the streets of Brooklyn at, at the beginning of Saturday Night Fever uh, and the the cars full of sports cars with women in them are you know going Gunmaster Gunmaster we love you ah! and screaming and and squealing and, and stuff so it, and it. That was it, and you know, when I asked him about it, he said, "Well, I, I love the Bee Gees, <laughs> and I love Donna Summer, and uh, and he also talks about Boney M, who it's, it's funny because Boney M is huge, or you know, in, in that era, was huge within South Asia, uh, not so much in the U.S. Uh, you know, they had a following in in Europe, uh, Germany, and the U.K." Uh, but not as big as they they were in, in India. That was their their biggest audience, and uh, you know he just kind of went from there. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, every kind of mo movie had a disco scene, and it was there's an amazing one called Wanted. Uh, the one of the tracks of which ended up on the 12-inch single that we we did on the first 
volume of the of Bombay disco, uh, and it's very very psychedelic. It's basically it's a western, but it seems like it's the village people in a in a disco in a Wild West saloon. Uh, it's totally surrealistic. Uh, just put it into YouTube. You'll you'll find it. It's up. Uh, that's the. But uh, Boppy really, and also using synthesizers because Boppy was a keyboard player, as they all were. If you look at the back covers of a lot of the. Uh, the soundtrack albums from India. Uh, you'll see pictures of the composers like R.D. Berman, uh, all like playing a harmonium, you know, which is sort of like a, a an accordion type of device you would pump by hand from from behind. You didn't wear it around your neck, but uh, uh, you would have it on a table and pump it. So they have all these pictures of these guys playing these. But but Bappi was programming synthesizers and. Uh, and doing, you know, uh, and using MIDI uh, early on, and drum machines, and all sorts of things of that nature that eventually other people started using. But uh, it was interesting because during the uh, time uh, of Indira Gandhi's time frame in uh, in India, they had banned uh, under the the socialist government there. They had banned anything coming in from other countries. So uh, synthesizers, of course, were were made in other countries. They weren't made in India, so uh, they were not allowed to be uh, imported in. Although, when there were traveling shows that would go to the UK with, with the, the film stars and the musicians who would do the, a lot of the, the song hits live in these big shows that would travel mostly for South Asian audiences in, the, in say, the UK or whatever, Canada, and eventually in the US. So a lot of these musicians would actually buy some of these things and sneak them back into the, the, the country. It's a little, a little bakshish uh, bribery would, uh, would, would do the trick. But the, none of these were available uh, until after um, uh, got rid of the, the socialist experiment there and, and opened the, the country to goods from other countries. And uh, soon enough you could get synthesizers, especially Japanese ones from Korg, etc., uh, and Yamaha. Uh, in, into the uh, into the country, and then er, then all hell broke loose. Every every filmmaker could use them, uh, and a lot of the low budget film, the budgets weren't that high on these films, so it became easy for somebody like uh, like Bobby to do a lot of stuff with synthesizers, and then augment it with with the horns and, and some uh, some strings, or sometimes you just have string synthesizers and and drum machines, but with a lot of percussionists and, uh, along with it. One of the biggest influences on me was uh, the composer R.D. Berman, Rahul Dave 
Berman, who um, started in the probably in the mid to late '60s. Uh, his father was a, a film composer as well, and uh, and a poet. And uh, when uh, R.D. as they called him went to uh, to Bombay, as they called that at the time, uh, you know, he he was a little more. Uh, if Boppy was a, a you know younger and a child of uh, the sort of funk disco scene from from Western music, uh, Berman was definitely more gotten into like you know the sort of the psychedelia of the of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and that type of of, of thing, and doing it there. So it was kind of like I like to say the analogy was if the the Beatles added sitars and and tablas to their rock music. To create what they created, Artie Berman did it the other way around. He added electric guitars and drum, trap drum kits and electronic keyboards to his Indian music and and westernized Eastern music as opposed to the Beatles Easternizing Western music. Know what I mean? One of Artie Berman's most well-known compositions from that early era was a. Uh, a track from a movie called Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and it was called Dum Maro Dum, and that, that basically translates as "Let's smoke some pot." And there's a, it was basically uh, a film about the the hippie trail, as they they called it back then, when a lot of uh, Westerners, especially Europeans, would would head over uh, into Afghanistan, uh, where marijuana uh, and hashish were, were plentiful, especially hashish, and into uh, India from, from there, and then uh, basically up through uh, to Nepal, which is where this film takes place. And uh, this song, with its psychedelic guitars, as well as the uh, Indian percussions and, and sitars, and it was uh, really revolutionary at the time. Uh, in India, and uh, with this, this stunning actress, uh, Zenat Aman, who's sort of, uh, you know, they catch her from behind, uh, sort of dancing, it seems like in front of a, uh, a, a jukebox, it seems, so the, this coming out, uh, and all these people smoking chillum pipes, smoking hashish out of chillum pipes all around it, and this whole dance sequence, very psychedelic dance sequence that goes on, was... was um, Extraordinary at the at the time in in India, especially where there was a lot of governmental interference uh, in in personal liberties. We'll we'll say uh, so. Berman was really responsible for bringing a lot of that about, not only the music but the sort of social change that went along with it, and, and a, a youth movement uh, in India and Nepal and. Bangladesh. So Berman, uh, you know, we have some of his stuff on the record, but he didn't do a lot of disco stuff. He was still more doing the, the funkier type of thing, and by the 80s w- was getting back more into uh, uh, a lot more balladry. Some people say he lost his touch a lot in the in the 80s, and certainly his output was not as uh, incredible at that time as, a, as it was during the, the 60s and 70s, and he, he regained his spark in the 90s, right before he died, uh, at age uh, 54, I believe, of, of uh, a heart attack, uh, in around 1995 or something, I don't have the exact dates right in front of me, but you can double check that on the internet, uh, and an amazing uh, 
an amazing composer and to this day still a, a force to be reckoned with as far as being a legend in India if you uh, look online or go if you find yourself in India and go into a, a record shop uh, you'll find box sets of uh, of Berman's music obviously if you're scoring six songs per movie and you've scored mm, 400 some odd films On this compilation for a while with uh, with some legal uh, assistance in uh, in India and uh, my team here, people that you know, we're going to put it out and we, we had some snafus in in, in getting the licensing, etc. And uh, unfortunately, it never it never really happened. Uh, but I had done some live uh, some DJ events where I, I would play this stuff, and uh, I met Jeff. Jeff Swalham here uh, back, uh, I guess in the, in the mid mid two thousands or, or, or so, and uh, it was before he had started Cultures of Soul. But uh, I found out when he did, and we, you know, he knew about this stuff and was a fan of it. And then uh, I guess six years ago, when uh, Jeff got in touch with me and said, "Hey, did anybody ever put out that compilation of Bombay Disco?" and I said, "No," and he said, "Well, I'd be interested in doing that." Would you want to do that? And I said, "Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a great idea." So uh, we figured out how to actually license, or he figured it out, not me, uh, of where where we could get the the licensing from, and uh, rather than go through uh, Saragama, which is now the owner of the EMI Indian catalog. Uh, rather than go through their their office in India, we were actually uh, Jeff was able to find the person in the UK, uh, and so we licensed everything through through the UK, which was a mu- much easier uh, way to deal. And they did get me the masters, so you know we kind of put together a, a wish list 
of, of tracks and uh, we pretty much got they, they could find just about everything there were a couple of tracks they couldn't find the, the masters for or uh, or any contracts for India is very different or has been very different uh, than the than the United States or, or Europe as far as film music goes. Everything is a work for hire. So a composer, say like a Bappi or R.D. Berman, is, is just paid a flat rate to, to create this, this music. And it, it's owned by the, the film company and by the record label. Putting the whole compilation together, he and I remastered everything. Uh, I have a background in, in that and in engineering as well. So we did all that and just, uh, you know, got it pressed to to vinyl and, and CD. Um, uh, it, it's been interesting. It did very well. Got a lot of great press. A lot People had not heard a lot of this music before, so it was the first time that the, the disco end of, of things had, had come out. And uh, there's been a few other things since then. Um, Finders Keepers actually did a great horror movie uh, compilation, and uh, those films by the the Ramsey brothers, uh, in particular, were from the late '80s and early '90s, and there was more of the disco and electro in, involved in that. Those films at the time, uh, all very low budget films that made a huge, huge return on their investment. So uh, you know, it's been good to get these these things out there, and. Uh, have people be able to hear this music uh, without having to uh, trawl through the bazaars of uh, of India, the the, the record wallows on the on the streets over there, which actually I highly recommend. If you like to, if you, if you like record digging, like I do, you know, doing it in a doing it in a place like India, you want to you want to you want to get your hands dirty. Wow, I, I don't want to tell you the stories of. Well, let's just say there's a George Clinton in Funkadelic had a great song called Maggot Brain, and I think I found the Maggot Brain on bottoms of lots of piles of records, just covered in <laughs> insects and just just straight out of some uh, Dario Argento film. It was just like, uh, sure, I'll take it. Actually, when I got my first batch of records home, my wife wouldn't let me bring them into the house for about five days because. The the uh, the mold and mildew that was on them. I had to keep them out in the hallway and, and air them out, and then I, you know, meticulously washed every record in uh, in soap and water to get the the mold and mildew off of them. Uh, they still, you know, there's still some in the covers, but and covers, you know, collecting records in India. You record collectors out there, if you if you want to find mint copies of the the covers themselves. Buy the records in England or in, or in Singapore because uh, you know the the temperature, the humidity, the monsoons, uh, your paper, cardboard does not really last all that well. There, there's a lot of dirt and dust uh, on the record covers as well, and uh, you know a lot of them kind of half fall, falling apart, but. Uh, to me, it's just another day at the office. And here's another note for uh, record collectors out there. Uh, and most record collectors, uh, and, and DJs uh, in particular, uh, know the, the glory that is the 7-inch single. Some of the best pressings are on 7-inch singles because they press them loud. 
they didn't really have. I don't know how much of a jukebox culture there was in in, uh, in India, to be honest with you. But uh, you know, they're always pressed pretty loud and clean, and uh, there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of records out there. There's a lot of records from films that never came out. The producers would start to get something ready, and they would they would have the songs written. And they might have the dance sequences filmed, and they would put a, a, a record out, either a, a straight seven inch with you know one song each side, or an EP, which is very popular in uh, in Indian uh, record circles, with four songs on it, or sometimes three. And you will find a lot of really really weird and surreal stuff. Uh, from uh, especially ones from movies that never came out. Uh, this there's um, there's some ways to find out about this. There's a uh, especially for the uh, the rock and roll stuff. And uh, one of these days, I, I'd love to put a, a compilation together of all this Indian rock and roll, or, or Bali rockers, as I like to call it. Uh, it's sort of like uh, Hindi garage rock in a lot of ways that uh, came out in the uh, mostly in the in the late '60s and early '70s. Uh, that a lot of this stuff came out. So keep an eye out on on the the seven inch trail out there because if you if you fall down that rabbit hole oh my god that is that's an even bigger rabbit hole to fall down than 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 the regular lps because there were just so so many of them and again a lot of it were were some of the hit songs you you can get it on a seven inch and it's going to have a, a you know better fidelity it's going to be louder but you're going to find a lot of stuff that's uh, you know there's non-lp b-sides there's all sorts of things like that over there just as there is uh, you know in uh, in western recordings but it's uh, it's a, a whole another world out there i've got a, a few boxes full of uh, seven inch singles almost all of which have picture sleeves by the way so that's another brother cleave tip for you record collectors out there